Oh, the joy of seeing such fellowship uh, mid-morning in the 11 o'clock worship service, a great joy and privilege indeed. Um, it's so good also, I want to thank uh, Dave Young for uh, serving with me this morning along with Peggy. Uh, during the remaining uh, Sundays of the summer, we'll have a number of our elders uh, supporting us uh, in worship, so we're so very grateful for that. So thank you, Dave. Um, last week, uh, Pastor Mike Palumbo kicked off our summer sermon series on making disciples. In doing so, he affirmed that we need to know who a disciple of Jesus Christ is. And biblically speaking, Pastor Mike told us that a disciple is one who is bound to his teacher that he might become like him. So a disciple is one who is bound to Jesus Christ by faith and trust in Jesus alone for his salvation, his righteousness, his forgiveness, his hope, and also for wisdom. The disciple grows because he is bound to Jesus. And this loving union with Christ compels the disciple to conform to their God and Savior becoming like him. Now, today we'll continue our focus on being bound to Jesus by faith by considering the ministry of gospel reconciliation. This occurs both in our evangelism, but also in our discipleship as God calls us to be his ambassadors. So I'm going to ask you to please open your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we'll, beginning, uh, we'll, where we'll begin to read at verse 11. And as you turn there, notice the title in your Bible, The Ministry of Reconciliation. So 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 to 21. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We employ you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Please join me in prayer. Our father in heaven, give us grace each moment to draw our life from you walking in your steps, enjoying your fellowship. 
As we now give attention to your word, please open the eyes of our hearts to behold the wonders of your love. Holy Spirit, pour out your light upon these words which you have caused to be inspired and write them upon our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen. Occasionally when I have a group of men on my back patio, as we gaze into the backyard, we have discussions that reflect our desire to move beyond process projects. Whether someone working in personnel, an engineer, a professional counselor, or a pastor that loves to see completed projects, we look at the backyard and convey, I love cutting grass because we start mowing and two hours later we see that the job is done. Yard work, so it seems, has a definitive starting and an end point. We can see a job complete, although the yard will require more attention in a week or so. In ministry, it seems that we would also love to see a beginning point and an end point. We know that discipleship began today at 945 and we think it's done within an hour. Yet the truth is, is that we need to share the gospel consistently for us to come to Christ and also to grow in Jesus Christ. And encouraging one another in the faith ministry occurs day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. For following Jesus and becoming conformed to His image is a lifetime process project that will never end. Now, in our passage this morning, we see that we are privileged with the with persuasion and making pill, appeals over time. We also see that discipleship is a ministry of gospel reconciliation committed to each and every one of us as ambassadors for Christ. Instead of looking over discipleship offerings for classes that seem most interesting to me, we also open our eyes to see how we can minister to the people around us. We maintain a focus that we see in Philippians chapter 2 before the great Christ hymn that we'll share in our affirmation of faith right after the sermon. But here's how Paul opens that chapter. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. So now as we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul gives us three foundational principles that are crucial for being effective as Christ's ambassadors in gospel reconciliation. There are three questions for all of us to answer to understand these principles. Biblically, first, what are our motives for the ministry of gospel reconciliation? Second, what's the context, the nature of our ministry in Jesus Christ? And finally, what's at the core, the heart of our ministry with one another in the world around us? So let's begin with the first foundational principle, the motivation of gospel reconciliation. We see this in verses 11 to 15. Now, here's the broad scope. If you are going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as his disciple, you need to deal with this question. What will sustain you over the long haul? Perhaps asked a little bit differently, what will motivate you to keep serving faithfully 
and consistently. Dear friends, this is so vital because being a Christian is more than just doing and saying the right things. Being a Christian also involves being moved by the right things from the core of our being, which is being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So proper motivation keeps gospel ministry a grace and not a burden. Proper motivation helps us to make sure that God gets all the glory as we serve Him with joyful hearts. In verses 11 to 15, Paul identifies two great motivating influences in gospel ministry. The first one comes in verse 11, where he says, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Now, fear of the Lord here is not a bad thing. We are taught in all kinds of settings that fear is not a good way to motivate people. It's not a good way to have intimacy with others. So we really need to be clear about what Paul is saying here. First of all, it is not fear driven by guilt in terms of our sinful rebellion against God. And it's certainly not driven by hatred because we would just resent God for calling us to fear him in this way. There would be no basis for intimacy. And it's not the fear of mistrust as if God would be not faithful to us to do what he has promised to do. Now, there is when you look at the first few verses of Second Corinthians chapter five, this idea that there is a judgment of God and yet all that has been handled uh, by us on the cross. Our fears have been displaced by the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ in our lives. So when we think about proper fear of the Lord, I think Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29, they give us a good description of what this godly fear is all about. There, the author of Hebrew writes, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. This reverence and awe are exactly what the fear of God means for Christians. We have a reverence and awe because of who Jesus Christ is that causes us to surrender to Him, to allow Him to be Lord of our lives. This means, dear brothers and sisters, that we know Jesus Christ as our dear Savior, as our friend. That we know that our Father in heaven cherishes us as his own sons and daughters. And also that we know that Christ, though, is also King of kings and Lord of lords. He is worthy of all reverence and awe and devotion. For one day he will come back and every knee shall bend to him. So this is our first motive. It's vital that we be moved to reach out because of the glorious vision of God in His holiness and in His majesty. And by the way, if you and I within the church and within our families, if we have a proper understanding of this biblical fear and live it out in proper order, we certainly will have less heartache, less compromise, less confusion in the world, in our church, in our relationships, and even within our own hearts. This is good for discipleship as followers of Jesus Christ. Secondly, though, we remain engaged in ministry for one other great motivator, and that is Christ's love. Notice the transition here at verse 13. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Paul is expressing that if we look like we're crazy, which is what some translations actually say, it's because we know and experience the love of God. 
And yet if we look very sound and reasonable, it's because we're trying to help you. Whatever, whether, whether we seem crazy or shame, shame, sane, our lives are spread out for you in love for the worship of God and for discipleship and for mission. Verse 14, for Christ, love controls us. It compels us to move forward in gospel reconciliation. This is not as much your love for him, but his love for you and for me. This is obvious by the context as he writes to the church, to to believers in Corinth. And he's looking at believers and he's saying, look at the substance of love. That one, Jesus Christ, has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He died for us, dear family of God, taking our place and dying our death that we might live for him. We have been purchased by a great price. And the context here is that we are forever to live with him and for him and to surrender ourselves to him. So, family, here's the double no brainer when it comes to motivation. The ambassador for Christ. The one involved in representing Jesus in this ministry of gospel reconciliation. The one in making prayers for each other. The one involved in reaching out to those in need of grace. God's unconditional love. That person is motivated by the fear of the Lord and the love of Jesus Christ for all those that are around him. That's our motivation to keep us keeping on. And this leads us to the second point here, which is the context of context of gospel ministry that we see in verses 16 and 17. Now, to understand the context of ministry, we ask ourselves this question. What are the circumstances, the situations, the environments in which we minister? Part of the answer is straightforward. Gospel ministry, ongoing discipleship begins with our renewed hearts and it spreads into our homes and then it impacts relationships within the church and also within the community in which God has placed us. Why? Well, the effects of Christ's love cause a change in our perspective. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we no longer Regard one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So first, what he is telling us in terms of the context of ministry, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We do not see the world the way that we used to see it. We once saw a diff- different ethnic groups and different skin colors. We used to see different religions, male and female, old and young, rich and poor. All of our categories that we create. We used to have all these categories and many more. But now we no longer see people in that old way. Now we see others either in Jesus Christ or out of Jesus Christ. When you and I experience the love of Jesus, we have a motivation and even an obligation to see the world through the eyes of our Savior and to share his love. The only solution for all the differences among us is that we understand our need for Jesus Christ and his absolute love for you and for me. But notice, secondly, we even saw Christ from a worldly point of view at one time. This means that we used to see him only as a humble 
Nazarene, who started as a carpenter and became a teacher, who created tension in the religious and political establishments, and he died on a cross. Most of history affirmed those facts. Yet now we know that Jesus was not only human, but he was also divine. He rose from the dead. That's a wonderful thing. And their family, we see Christ as even more. From when we come to a study of, say, Revelation chapter 1, he is also high and lifted up. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, who will one day return in power and in glory. And finally, notice also that we no longer look at one another in the church in the same way. Verse 17 tells us that we see God's family through new eyes. Therefore, if if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. For we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. There is a strange tension, though, in the church. If you trust in Christ today, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are remade. You are transformed. You have new desires. You are bound to Christ as His disciple. You bear Christ's name and He is your God. You are holy because the penalty of your sin has already been paid. And yet... Here's the tension. You still battle sin. You and I, we still battle sin. So in gospel reconciliation, we enter into the lives of one another and speak the gospel to each other daily, telling each of those around us that we need to continue to be reconciled to God. This is the ultimate priority, the love of Christ controlling us, compelling us to enter into the lives of one another and to speak gospel truth for the rest of our lives. Remember, Paul labored on behalf of these people for a year and a half, just as we labor for one another through joyful times and difficult seasons. In Acts chapter 18, you hear about Paul's time in Corinth. It's amazing because it's one of the first places that you read about that he's not been formally kicked out. He's been able to stay and to minister. He probably has developed a relationship with these people, unlike many of the other places where he's been because of such short time with those other folks. It means that Paul loves these Corinthians. He also knows them well. He knows them in their sin. He's had to write a very severe letter to them because they've begun to trust in things apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He probably wrote this severe letter to them with a heavy burden. For he loves them and he knows their struggles as they grow in grace. So he calls them, be reconciled to God. Keep on being reconciled to God. He begs them. He doesn't just tell them. He begs them. He be reconciled to God. The scripture he tells us. He pleads with them. This is not a simple two-hour yard project, dear disciple, bound to Jesus Christ. Rather, discipleship is a process project over time for the rest of our lives. So I ask, is your heart affected by the death of Christ, by the fact that Christ became sin on our behalf? Do you realize that your brothers and sisters in Christ have this new identity, that they are new creatures, they're new creations in Christ, yet they still battle sin? 
Does this reality drive you to your knees in prayer? Does this reality cause you to enter into the lives of those around you and consider opportunities for love and encouragement in this new identity that we enjoy in our Savior? Oh, there will be success. Because God has blessed hearts with proper motivation. The only reasonable thing to do is to share the love of Christ where God has placed you with others over time as ambassadors of God's gospel reconciliation. So we're about this gospel reconciliation with proper motivation, with understanding of the context of ministry, both inside and outside of the church. And finally, he brings us to the heart of this ministry to make sure we don't miss it. At the heart of living and sharing this gospel we proclaim, he writes in verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then in verses 18 to 25 times you find this word reconcile in various forms. That's the goal of gospel, gospel reconciliation. The goal is to be reconciled to God, not by our own efforts, but by the gospel of Jesus Christ being embraced and lived out as our very own. Our separation from God was our fault, our sin, our guilt apart from Jesus Christ. But God does not abandon us. Instead, He takes the initiative to restore relationship. He gave His Son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He reconciles us to Himself by having Christ pay the penalty for our sin, thus appeasing God's wrath and removing our enmity and demonstrating His divine love and grace to us. He invites us into His presence. He gives us everlasting life. He makes all things new. And again, dear family, all this is from God. So in discipleship, God is calling us to be in the business of persuading and and pleading that which is rooted in gospel truth. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We employ you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. This is not some arm-length theological and cold discussion about the nature of God, although there's place for some of that discussion. Rather, we stand in Christ's place as His ambassadors, and we call out to one another, please be reconciled to your Savior and live for Him. We patiently And persistently encourage one another to follow Christ as His disciples. Now you may ask me, why is all this so significant? Why? Because you and I deal with crisis nearly every single day. We consistently deal with a threefold crisis as we face three issues. One, I have a rebellious heart. Two, I have a guilty record. And three, I have a broken life. First, my rebellious heart. My life does not work out the way I want because I want to be in control. As a matter of fact, as soon as I see a law or a new rule, I'm already thinking about how to get around it. I see the 
speed limit sign that says 55 and I'm automatically thinking about going 61 because I think I can make it to 61 without a ticket. Or I hit the pedal when I see the caution yellow light before the red. It's true of my heart. It's probably true of yours. Even in the very best of our moments, the very best of what we offer, we somehow are creating some offense against God. How does this impact me? How can I get around it? For I'm rebellious. Second, though, my guilty record. I know I'm a sinner. I deserve to be separated from a God who is perfectly loving and just. I have not met God's standard, not even close. And third, I know I have a broken life. You don't have to look very far in my life or in yours to find the brokenness. You know, if we listen to one another close enough with enough love, you'll hear things like this. Yes, things are not the way they ought to be. Not in me. Not in those around me that I love. Everything I thought would be good, it withers. I am single, I have lust. I got married and I have tension. I have sons and daughters and some rebel. I long for relationships, but many relationships are distant. I got a job, but I'm not really satisfied. I have good, I had good health, but now I have aches and pains. And for some of the ones that I love, it's much worse. Fill in the blanks. It's a broken world and the triple crisis is right there. Sometimes I simply want to go to the doctor's office, wait for an accurate diagnosis and follow proper treatment plan to bring me health and wholeness. Yes. Convince me of my disease and tell me the cure. Convince me of the disease and let me be cured as I follow the proper protocol. And yet when we look at the Scripture... God has done precisely that. He has diagnosed our eternal disease and giving us Jesus Christ to make us whole. There is a gospel solution to this threefold crisis that each of us face every day. In exchange for my rebellious heart, what does he do? God offers me a new heart. He removes the heart of stone and He gives us a heart of flesh. He writes His law law on our hearts and He inclines us to follow and obey. He does the miraculous and He even calls us by name and He adopts us as His sons and daughters. Well, in exchange for the guilty record, God offers me a perfect record. Verse 21, For our sake... He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This means that God treats Jesus the way my sin deserved to be treated. That's the cross. He was punished in my place, and now He treats me as Jesus alone deserves to be treated, because Jesus is perfect. He is altogether righteous. And Jesus is saying, as He did say in Matthew, Be perfect as I am perfect. Be holy as I am holy. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be holy for without holiness no one will see the Lord. And if you're like me, you sometimes hear those words. You hang your head and say, Oh God, I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. Who would ever meet this standard? We need forgiveness and we need perfection. That's what we call righteousness. So God the Father credits the righteousness of His Son, Jesus, by the power of His Spirit to my account. He says, not only are you forgiven, He says, but you are perfect in every way. He smiles and He now rejoices over me with singing. 
But notice here, in exchange for my guilty record, he gives us this perfect record. And finally, he exchanges for my broken life. He gives me a new life. Again, that wonderful verse, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You know, in Revelation chapter 21, Jesus makes all of these future promises and then suddenly He turns to the present tense and He says, Behold, I am making all things new. If you belong to Christ, He is right now in the process of making all things new. You and I need to hear that every day when we wake up and look at ourselves in the mirror and think, I don't know if I can do this again. I feel so bad about how I failed yesterday. Oh, God, have mercy. And God, by the power of the Spirit, is saying all things are new. That's the gospel. That's the message to which we are persuading others. And so we don't stand on my back patio and gaze into the backyard looking for a quick solution. Rather, we stand together and we gaze into the face of Jesus Christ and accept what He is calling us to be as His disciples, bound to Him in faith and love in this lifelong process of gospel reconciliation. So in closing, I have but one question. Are you persuaded by the gospel? Here's the truth. What goes deepest into the heart goes widest to the world. You can't persuade others toward what you've not celebrated yourself. If this gospel is weak and fragile in your life, your life of persuasion is going to be weak and fragile. To the degree that you celebrate this gospel, you'll be, you will be persuasive in the way that you hold it forth to the people among whom you live. Sometimes this ongoing life of gospel reconciliation is difficult. However, never more difficult than Christ going to the cross for you and for me. So, O oh family of God, Be motivated by a proper fear of the Lord, a reverence in all that leads you to joyful obedience. If you don't know Jesus, come to Him this day and be reconciled. And if you love Jesus Christ, keep on keeping on. Live lives full of gospel love and persuasion in your home, in the church, and in the community to which God has placed you. Embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and be bound to Him as His disciple. Allow Him to give you a heart to share His love and His gospel reconciliation each day that He gives you life and breath. Amen. Would you please bow your heads in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, please motivate us by healthy biblical fear, a reverence in all that leads us to obedience, Also motivate us by your great love for us to take the direction of your scripture to be your ambassadors living and sharing the great ministry of gospel reconciliation, offering a restored and right relationship with you and with one another. For all this is indeed from you to you be the glory. Please help us, dear Lord. In Christ's name we pray. 
Amen.